Welcome to this week's episode of Getting on the Green. Today, we are going to welcome in Kevin Brady. He's an individual who has a lot of insight into the real estate market, um, involved in an organization that he's going to talk a little bit about, um, and really thinks outside of the box, hence the title of our podcast. Um, His personal company um, really targets a market that others don't necessarily think about all the time. So it's going to be really interesting to find out more about what he has to say, how he's done, what he has done, and uh, what the future is of real estate. Okay, so I'm excited to welcome in Kevin. Um, Thank you for being here. You've got a a lot of interesting things to talk about, a couple of different subjects today. Uh, So thanks for being with us, Kevin. My pleasure. I I always like to talk about BOMA and, um, and the market, so... It's good to be here. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, um, I am a. I was born in Ireland. Um, I was raised in Ohio and New York, uh, here in the United States, and um, I am a. I have an MBA. I graduated from SMU back long before most of these listeners probably were uh, alive. Um, <laughs> we, we we have a, a good variety, you know. Actually, uh, it it shows that on the podcast. Uh, the different demographics of where it's being listened from and the age groups. Um, so it, it, it's definitely a, a wide variety. Well, good. That's good. So um, and one interesting thing that I don't get to talk to a lot or talk to people a lot about is um, international uh, people and how that kind of differs from the real estate in the United States. So um, I don't know, what, what age did you come over from Ireland? Uh, actually, I was nine, so okay, um, I so, didn't have very much real estate uh, experience, but I do know that I track the markets um, because the, the the town that I'm from, Kilkenny, um, I still have a lot of family there, and it's now grown up to be you know a modern big town when it was a little small farm town when I was there, and as a teenager going back. Um, so it's really interesting to see the changes in the markets um, internationally and even regionally. Uh, specifically, uh, I've lived in and worked out of the South most of my adult career. And um, I see some of the secondary and tertiary markets really tr- trying to kind of exude themselves and, and kind of to grow and expand. And it's really interesting to see um, what the needs are in those secondary markets. Yeah, I know that a lot of, uh, at least during the COVID, there's been a a large push out of cities. Um, So it'll be uh, something to see if all the rural areas get somewhat converted into larger towns. You know, all those farm towns get converted into into those medium-sized, you know, towns with thousands of people kind of having an exodus out of large mm-hmm. cities and into either townhomes or single family homes um, to get a little bit of space and to include an office in their house, for instance, to work at home. And uh, right. it should be interesting to see those changes. I, I can tell you that, um, you know, my company, True Park, which is, we're an asset parking management company. 
we're actually getting a lot of calls for consultation for um, you know parking issues that are in the exurbs and and not just the suburbs but the exurbs in different uh, large markets and though that's just kind of speaking to the fact that more people are going to be working from where they live than commuting into town and or they're at least thinking about that um, you know the market's kind of looking at um, you know how we're going to adapt um, so I think that's where a lot of those calls are coming from because you know we have a lot of office campuses that are out in the suburbs that have you know thousand spaces and and that's never been a problem until they have a lot of leasing inquiries and uh, they're looking at parking ratios and things like that so it's really interesting to see those folks that um, never would have had a parking issue before now suddenly that's on the radar so we're I'm, I'm gonna get into parking a little bit later so I have a bunch of questions for that but let, let's start with uh, an organization that you're a part of um, it's sure. called BOMA so tell us a little bit about what BOMA is BOMA is the building own, building and owners management man, building owners and managers association uh, BOMA Miami-Dade which I'm a board member uh, is part of a, a large federated group BOMA International um, out of DC representing commercial real estate professionals uh, throughout the country and now internationally uh, really there's a lot of growth internationally with BOMA uh, and BOMA is the the leading group for ad- advocacy on commercial real estate issues uh, and through legislation. Um, it is also uh, one of the leaders in education and it provides a network for commercial real estate professionals to, um, to connect with their peers. Um, and that's, you know, very, very important. So everybody stays connected and informed. Okay. So what exactly does it provide um, for its members? Uh, it provides a lot. Um, BOMA Miami-Dade is one of five different uh, associations in the state of Florida. So, uh, you know, they often have a tally day where we go to the legislature and, and talk about issues, re, you know, in re, regards to the commercial real estate industry. Um, BOMA also is the gateway to a lot of education for commercial real estate um, professionals. Those seeking to, to get their uh, real property um, associate uh, certification, their certifications for property managers, their certifications for uh, engineers. There's also certifications for emerging professionals in the in the industry. So, uh, kind of like a commercial real estate 101 um, to help new professionals, you know, you know, get their feet and get their bearing, but also to continually educate. Uh, real estate professionals that have maybe been in the game for a while uh, to let them know what's new, what's what's going on, um, changes in the way that buildings are measured, uh, it affects the way that buildings are taxed, that affects the way that buildings are run. So, um, you know, BOMA provides those through activities. Of course, everybody's doing everything virtual right now, but uh, we hold educational sessions at least twice a month. Uh, we have a social session that we have every other month, but um, we actually make sure that we get a lot of the information out. So uh, even as recently changes in the tax structure for buildings, we want to make sure that our, our members have that information. Uh, if there's a change, change in the BOMA standards, 
uh, for BOMA standards, we want to make sure they have that as well. BOMA has lots of different programs like BOMA 360, and uh, we, pr we participated in, in Energy Star. So it's all about being the most efficient we can in, in running the buildings that uh, we're in charge of, the assets that we're in charge of. Interesting. So I, I hear you mentioned uh, advocacy and legislation a couple of times. What types of things, like why, why do you all need to be involved in that? Like why is that something that is, um, I guess, a focus for you all where other organizations that have to do with real estate technically don't do much, if at all, with that? Well, like I said, um, if, if, if the state legislature decided to change the way that buildings were measured, um, that would affect the way that buildings are taxed. Um, and, you know, property taxes and things like that are, are, you know, the asset has to, you know, maximize its its ability. And when you start to add up the, the square footage, the millions and millions of square footage in Florida alone in the commercial real estate industry, and the legislature would change something as, as, as might seem as small as just the way that buildings are measured, Imagine the millions and millions of dollars that would add to taxes. And those taxes are paid by our assets. So um, we want to make sure that our assets are as, um, you know, valuable as possible. The, the, the game in commercial real estate is someone gives you an asset and you improve it and it, it increases in value. And anything that could uh, decrease the value or, you know, have someone look at, uh, you know, buying or selling a property, taxes is going to be one of those things. So we want to make sure that, you know, when the, the legislature has a, a, a moment and they want to start to look at the commercial real estate in, industry, that they're talking to BOMA to kind of inform them in which direction they should go. And if there's a, a direction that they're not going in that's that's beneficial to our assets, they need to, they need to hear from us. So. Interesting. So can you talk a little bit about who is involved in BOMA? Uh, is it, you know, only owners or uh, who, who, it's, who are um, members? We, BOMA Miami-Dade has 184 uh, members um, and it's usually a 50-50 split between um, vendors and, and suppliers for commercial real estate and principal members. And our principal members are, you know, property managers, senior associates, uh, asset managers um, and engineers. So they're the people who keep these buildings up, running, and and continuing to add value to each one of the assets and that they're in charge of. So it's very important that you know we get all the folks involved. I mean, if you look at a commercial building, a skyscraper that's you know forty stories, there's a lot of folks that it takes to run that building, and BOMA provides the ability for that property manager, that asset manager to find the good suppliers that have been vetted and, and, and have, you know, wonderful references from the other memberships. So, you know, those are some of the privileges of being part of BOMA um, is having access to the tools that you need to be successful tools and the resources. So it's kind of um, a flexible organization that provides education and uh, resources such as like true experts and like you said, vetted individuals and companies that can help make, for instance, new members and their properties more efficient and profitable. Absolutely. Uh, BOMA is also great in the fact that 
we have a program called Boma Fellows. And Boma Fellows are industry veterans who have, you know, risen up to the ranks, not only in their own company, but also in, in the Boma uh, hierarchy. And, and, and they have been there, you know, training and helping and teaching other Boma members. And they're a good resource to have. And Boma Fellows, uh, there are not very many of them in the country. And Boma Miami-Dade is lucky to have three as lifetime members in, um, in their association. So Boma Miami-Dade is one of the older associations. And we are truly lucky to have three Boma Fellows who are um, very, very valuable assets and good resources for our membership. Uh, they teach a lot of the classes not only here, but across the country. And they avail themselves on a, on a national level. Uh, case in point, when um, we went into lockdown and with the, the COVID situation, you know, everyone was trying to scramble to try to figure out how that meant, what that meant for them and, and their, at their homes. But also we had to look at what did that mean for our buildings. And luckily being a part of BOMA, um, International, Boma International came out with a, a set of, of, of um, recommendations in how buildings should proceed, what systems to look at, what, um, where are the things that we need to, to be aware of, what stones need to be turned over to make sure that, you know, things are done well. And um, being a part of Boma allowed our local association to have access to that information, and it helped us with here in Miami, also participate in the mayor's task force for um, reopening. So once we were able to, you know, impart that um, uh, wisdom and knowledge onto uh, the local officials, they invited us to be a part of the task force. That wouldn't have been able to happen in unless we didn't have our Boma fellows who also participated in the national discussion. So that made the national discussion become a very uh, uh, valuable local discussion and that informed our, our local leaders and what our needs were if you think about it you spend more time at work than you do at home until 2020 <laughs> um, and those environments are huge environments some of our buildings hold thousands and thousands of people and you know you're talking about limiting groups to 10 or less well what are you going to do in a building that has thousands and thousands of people um where are the high touch points and things like that? And being getting that information really helped us be informed. It helped us um, provide healthy environments. As a matter of fact, we're actually having a, um, a session this week with um, the Miami Center for Architectural Design. Uh, it's a collaborative virtual session to talk about healthy buildings and what trends are happening now in commercial real estate because of this era of COVID and what to expect um, and how buildings are designed and, and going forward, what we should be looking at. Um, it's really, really kind of opened our eyes to ways that we need to be um, proficient and efficient in getting um, things clean and, and having an environment that you know people can feel comfortable um, being in. So I don't know if this is necessarily like slightly you know off topic from Boma, but when talking about COVID and these large um, businesses and buildings, um, not businesses, like the, the large buildings that see these thousands of people a day, 
whose responsibility is it for the safety of the individuals that are within it? Let's say, for instance, um, it's a condo style where everybody owns their own condo, but there's a building association, for instance. Um, whose responsibility is it to make these decisions and impart that those funds to guarantee the safety of the people coming in? Well, I can tell, I can't tell you from a condo perspective, but for, from our discussions in the commercial real estate side and just in office buildings alone, uh, it was a determination that each individual building had to have a, um, a very direct and concise plan for people entering the building and their pathways through the building mm-hmm. to get to their own uh, particular lease space. So uh, for the most part, and that includes parking, you know, you, you touch a lot of stuff when you park a car, you mm-hmm. know. Um, so we wanted to make sure that, you know, our charge was to make sure that people could get to and traverse through public spaces with some measure of, of safety. And that included, you know, making sure we got the right signage, making sure we had all the demarcations on the floor to provide social distancing, uh, making sure that we had enough public uh, sanitizer stations and things like that and, and make it available for people to use those things to be able to traverse safely and to look at, you know, when you're in public spaces, um, you know, the air, the, the air quality, things like that. So our HVAC guys were on, on top of all that. And once we set that standard as as a team for these assets and these buildings, the, pro- the property managers um, leading that charge, uh, put together a plan for the building as a whole. Now, once you enter in your own space, your office, uh, then you have some responsibility as well. Um, and, and we gave them as much information as we could uh, to provide them the opportunity to provide um, healthy spaces. Interesting. Um, so, for instance, like you were saying, with the individually owned buildings, who is paying for these for instance, the hand sanitizers, the tape that's going down, or the painting that needs to be done for these arrows. Like, who who pays for all that? Are you, are you doing like special assessments to these people? Are you just uh, raising the triple net charges? Like, how, or is this just out of the pockets of the owners? Well, I mean, I'm I'm the parking guy, so I can tell you that um, a lot of that is is uh, just like we would do in anything else. It's the care and maintenance of the building. Mm-hmm. So whether you not whether or not you have a sanitizer station at the door or you have it in the bathrooms, uh, that's part of the everyday building. So if you look at what is what was needed, whether it's signage in a building, the signage to show someone where the elevators is is the same expense that you would send to, to show somewhere to stand in the elevators. So um, you know buildings had to make sure that you know they really worked hard while people were in lockdown. So many of the buildings actually never closed. Um, They actually, we actually got to work. You would think in parking, um, you know, no one's driving. So the parking guy actually was sitting at home. We were not. We were taking advantage of the fact that we didn't have people in the garages uh, to make sure that we had clean and safe environments and pitching in 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 all those high touch areas. I mean, think about it. You know, someone parks their car in a garage and they go and they hit the stairs. That's a whole environment that you that may have not been on your um, radar before, but it is now because someone has to touch the door. They're going to touch the rails. What are we looking at? And collaborating with our property managers and our asset managers, talking to uh, 
the, the experts in the room, you know, we came up with lots of resources like nanoseptic films and things like that, that really kind of opened my eyes that one, that there is a self-cleaning film that's out there that we could put on high touch areas. It's existed for a long time. It's never really had any type of um, kind of, it, it never fell on anybody's uh, radar before now, but now there's a whole market of that. Um, you know, the getting PPE and things like that, those expenses, a lot of people shared across the board just to make sure people are safe. We had to make sure that we could get them. Um, and that's, that's the benefit of being involved in a network as large as BOMA is because those conversations are being had all over the country, but they're also being had in the same room because all those people are invited into uh, a very direct conversation. So, um, it's those expenses and, you know, property managers and asset managers went through, I'm sure all the hoops that they needed to, to make sure that those were covered. Mm -hmm. Uh, because the last thing you want to do is, you know, someone to get sick. Absolutely. Um, so let's, let's shift a little bit. Let's talk about the business of parking. Tell us a little bit about that. Sure. And how you're parking. involved with that. Well, I own uh, true park asset parking management and, uh, we are a South Florida based, parking management company and consulting firm. I've been in parking for longer than I can remember. It's about 15 years. I uh, worked for a national firm. That national firm was purchased a couple of times. And through those mergers, I, I ventured off on my own. And uh, my, as a consultant, my clients were calling me to kind of uh, ask me to help them find new, new uh, uh, vendors and some of them were my former clients and I was the vendor. So uh, I had the opportunity to form my own parking management company. And uh, instead of finding a new vendor, I became that new vendor. Um, we started in May of 2017. We're now in 18 locations and projects in nine cities across Florida. So in three years, and we've even seen growth during the, the, this whole pandemic situation, um, which is, is a blessing. Um, but, uh, you know, I, I, people often refer to me as the South Florida parking guy, you know, he's that guy. Yeah. Parking is what I do. That's awesome. Um, so why would a building or a property manager or something along those lines hire a parking management company? Why, why can't they, or why wouldn't they do it themselves? Um, First of all, it, you know, parking is, we're one of the few service providers that actually brings revenue to the building and, and, and kind of uh, shepherds over revenue. There are a lot of people who do uh, self-manage their own parking. Uh, it's what we do. It's, a, it's in our wheelhouse. So oftentimes in, the, in larger projects, they want to have someone else who focuses solely on that so that our par property managers and, and, and engineering teams can concentrate on keeping the building running as efficiently and adding value. Um, you know, most of our members, you know, do large construction in their buildings. You know, all the lobbies have been redone and, and a lot of buildings have, you know, been renovated and things like that. The last thing they want to do is um, be worried about whether someone's cards on or off or whether someone's paid their parking bill. So um, we often are the ones that are in charge of keeping the garages clean and um, making sure that um, all the bills are paid um, and that, you know, the leasing, when it comes to leasing, you know, making sure the parking ratios are within what the buildings can um, actually hold. Uh, there's always a battle between leasing and 
management and and parking to make sure that you know you want to get get the that new tenant and you want to be able to fill their needs and without having a a parking management or an asset management company uh, to look at what those specifics are. If you need 400 people and you only have 300 spaces, uh, I can help you figure that out. Interesting. So let's talk a little bit about technology. How's technology affected the parking world? Um, Cause you, like you said, you've been in it for 15 years, so you've seen some technological changes. Um, so for instance, EVs like Tesla, uh, how, 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 how's technology really affected it? And in theory, we went from, I guess, manned or womaned, whichever it was, but a person in a booth giving a ticket or paying to right. potentially not. So talk a little bit about the technological changes we've seen. Well, technology, technology has really helped parking for one thing. When I first came into the business, uh, the model for parking was more to be a, is, was a staffing model to make sure someone's in the booth to, you know, pay and, and all of that. It shifted uh, with more automation and still in some of the, you know, high touch areas, depending on what the tendency of the building is, you need to have a person because there's a, a, a human interaction is needed. Um, that's even changing. A lot of, a lot of the payments were, are no longer in cash. So you don't really need to have a cashier per se. Um, Technology, people can make reservations on their phone for different places. You can open gates and exit gates by using a, a, a QR code on your phone now. There are scanners for that. Um, you can make reservations. You can, uh, you know, add and, and subtract parkers on, on your own um, lease through technology. One of the things that is even increased is the, the that person, that human interaction is now gone video. Because we have certain things like zoom uh think about that you know uh, where you might need some some help you push an assistance button instead of getting a voice you now get a face a face that's looking at you just like i'm looking at you and you're looking at me and we have a conversation about what your needs are at the moment so um there the technology has actually helped in that aspect um and that person can actually handle more than one location um and and it's really helped with the costs and expenses of, of running a garage, you know, most of the expenses in running a parking garage is in the personnel. Um, but if you have a good investment and some good equipment, then uh, you start to see that return very quickly. And, um, and the service is, you know, pretty soon with license plate recognition has come along. Um, there is RFID. Uh, there are now uh, radio frequency identification. There's also now uh, your phone just has to get close to some gates and it'll open just because you are logged into a particular app that tells people that you belong there. So, um, you know, you're the I've seen it go from having staffing and having to roll down your window to now cars can seamlessly go in and out of, of buildings. Uh, whether it's reading your license plate or it's, you knows your phone's in the car and, and billing you that way. So uh, it's it's not as much centered in on cash and the human interaction is now done a lot in video. So that's really changed the model. And it's really had us as parking operators focus in on how we're adding other values to um, to to those buildings. And, you know, having your 
one of the things that we at True Park, we don't call them parking garages as much. It's common language. Garages are places where things are stored. Um, we are mobility transportation hubs. So if you look at the facilities in these buildings, there are people who are coming there that might be coming to go to a restaurant or to work or parking there to get on a cruise ship or might be meeting someone there and then jumping on little scooters to go play in Bayfront Park. So um, transportation mobility is very, very important. So all of those things, once you come into town and you get into town, whether you've taken um, public transit or not, even in our, in our centers, we're finding that there are, you know, applications such as get around and hurts on demand and they have to park their cars somewhere and you coming in off the cruise ship and want to rent a car, they might be leading you to one of my garages to pick that car up. So, um, it's, there's a lot that's changed when it comes to technology and the way that parking is looked at. Um, and we hope that, uh, us and some of our other, uh, service providers out there are looking forward to, um, looking forward at how, you know, parking is going to change. And it is it's changing quite drastically. Uh, so I like to focus a lot on technology. So with the good comes the bad. Um, how do you see ride sharing affecting the parking model and the push by at least the governments <laughs> to increase public transportation and ride sharing in general, especially with the Ubers and Lyfts of the world? Um, even having the carpooling option that you can, you know, not even use your, your ride sharing and you're sharing that ride with somebody else right. that you don't even know. So that's double right. ride share. Well, that, that environment has been um, happening for quite some time now. So those of us, if you're, if you're an operator or you are a building owner and you're not living in an Uber and Lyft type world now, uh, the Uber of all things, um, world now you your worldview is quite narrow uh we have a much wider worldview we see that uh, the need for parking isn't as um as high as it has been in the past that affects a lot of things in the city of miami there's a parking surcharge that um, is an extra tax one of the few places in the world that has an extra tax on top of sales tax for parking um, and there are city codes and ordinances that say if you have so many, so many uh, bedrooms, you have to have so many parking spaces. If you have so many seats in a restaurant, you have to have so many parking spaces. Uh, if you have so many feet that you're building in a building, you should have so many parking spaces to meet a, a parking ratio or standard. However, those things are now being looked at differently. Um, there's been a couple of buildings that have been built in Miami with no parking at all. Um, they're really looking at, uh, you know, how we can live in a more mobile society that isn't the, the sole, you have a car and you and the wife have a car and the kids each have their own cars. Um, millennials aren't even buying cars these days. Um, there's no need for that. Um, I'm probably one of the only parking owners parking management company owners in the country that does not own his own car. Um, I have been car free now for over eight years. Wow. Uh, and so I, I live in that Uber and Lyft world. So um, 
I know that if I need a vehicle, I can get a vehicle on demand. I know that if I need to, uh, you know, get from here to West Palm Beach, I know how to do that. So that world is a world that I actually live in. So I actually am very informed when it comes to how uh, parking is shifting and changing. And I can actually bring that unique perspective to um, those that um, seek my help. So that's been very interesting. Yeah, so um, being somebody who is, I guess, lucky enough or in the situation that has, I guess, everybody in their family has their own car, which I guess isn't very good, but whatever. I mean, that's just how my family (laughs) is. Um, when I lived in DC and I, I went to school there, um, I was without a car for four years. So that was definitely a shock to me where I had to say, how do I get from here to there? Like, and there's no cabs. I don't see any cabs. And this was before Uber and what the heck am I supposed to do? So one of the cool things that we would use all the time is zip cars. So, and so for instance, as my, you know, my wheels are ticking in my head. So we're talking about. Uber and Lyft kind of diminishing the amount of use that a parking garage has. But I'm thinking about, wow, aren't there deals that are made with Zipcar, for instance, that they will park in there so you do still have that traffic and the use of those spots, but, you know, it's still in the ride-sharing world. Yeah, I actually started my career out in Atlanta and Zipcar – was in the same building. So um, I saw that kind of happen early on. And then I saw others actually adopt that as well. Hertz on And every one of the car rental uh, companies has an on-demand feature. Uh, and that kind of grew out of what was going on in Zipcar. What was great about Zipcar was that they were parked at all of the um, train stations uh, throughout Atlanta. So you could literally go get off the train, order up your zip card, pop open the door for you, and then you can take it out to drive around on the town or whatever, to go, go to the grocery store or whatever. Uh, and that was that was very, very helpful. Now, you don't even need that because your groceries are delivered to you. Um, you know, most folks were like, you know, oh, we're going into lockdown and everybody's hair was on fire. And I was like, I don't know why you're worried. Everything is delivered to the house. <laughs> I, you know, I was an early adopter of of Instacart and, and, and shopping and all of that online and everything's delivered. And I have to tell you, I made probably so many bonus referral bonuses at the beginning of the <laughs> pandemic when I said, Hey, use my code, uh, for Drizzly, which, uh, delivers liquor to your house. But, um, you know, I, I see that shift happen and that paradigm shift happen. And, and I see it in people's faces. Like when you were talking about going, being in DC and not knowing how to get from point A to point B. Uh, I, I see, I see those kind of shifts in our society. I've experienced it early cause I'm an early adopter of things. Um, and then I, when I see everyone else kind of meet the standard, when I first got rid of my car, uh, everyone in Atlanta, in Atlanta, uh, at the parking office thought I was crazy. They're like, are you crazy? <laughs> I bet you took an Uber now. They're all taking Ubers everywhere. And paying uh, for their cars. And paying for their cars. <laughs> and insurance and gas and, and this and, and that. gas and maintenance. <laughs> um, and those things I'd rather spend on, you know, vacations and Heck yeah. uh, going taking my nieces to Disney Disney World. Um, but it's it's very important to, that we understand that the standard for an individual isn't the same anymore. 
it's changing. Um, it's and and the need to have you know bright line. Uh, the one thing that I'm missing the, the most right now during this whole pandemic is Brightline. Uh, Brightline, you know, allows me to get from Miami to, to West Palm quickly, you know, within an hour uh, while I work, while I take calls, while I have a snack. Um, it and it, it was it was a little pricey, but it was worth it. You know, uh, prior to that, when I first came to Miami. I, I used tri-rail to get from here to West Palm. I love the fact that it had a table. I was impressed by it, you know, um, but it, it's a much longer ride. Um, and once you get to the city centers now, there's no need. The one, the one thing that's great about things like Brightline and things about things like tri-rail or whatever, tri-rail was servicing more of the suburbs and bringing people from, you know, the suburbs down to other city centers. And Brightline goes right through the city centers. It's, it feels like you're in New York that you can get from here to West Palm, and it's not a problem. It's a seventeen dollar ticket uh, versus you know spending spending that much in gas and not being able to answer your emails and not being able to really take a phone call because you're you know you got windshield time. So it, it makes it us more efficient. And in parking, we have to understand and make room for those people as well. So you see a lot of different things happening in parking. You see. Uh, bike stations appear in our, our, our transportation centers. You see uh, deals with the scooter companies um, because there's nothing like seeing a, a businessman roll down the, the road in uh, Biscayne Boulevard on uh, a scooter. Um, <laughs> it happens. Yeah, I, I see it. I, it's definitely pretty funny to see. They're, they're, and they're fun and, and people get around them. And then mm-hmm. you see a lot of other things that are being adopted. So as we're making room for fewer and fewer cars in the garage, we're looking at what amenities we can add to the centers to make sure that they are value, uh, added value to the buildings. Um, and a lot of that comes with, you know, having valet, having, um, you know, other amenities such as experiential marketing where those of you who want to look at a Mercedes, we can now take three of those reserve spaces and put the, the top three Mercedes models there with a person there to answer your questions. Um, there's ways to look at how the centers can uh, continue to be involved and, um, and provide, uh, you know, amenities to the buildings without necessarily just being a place to park cars. Okay, so kind of we are we are running out of time a little bit, but I want to get one last question in. So, so when looking about looking at those different ways to kind of maximize the revenue for an owner um, as a um, parking management, um, are you having to deal with owners, say, um, not necessarily in high rises per se, but let's say in like suburbs with open air lots? Are they selling space for out parcels and things like that? Is that a strategy that owners are doing or, or are you not really dealing with um, those types of buildings? Well, I think that most of them are not selling space per se, but they are administering those spaces and mm-hmm. managing those spaces now. Uh, whereas before it was just, oh, we have a big lot and there's plenty of parking or whatever. A lot of people don't even realize when they go to a shopping mall if people still go to malls these days, that if you're at the back of the parking lot, there used to be a line. You used to see like a blue line or a white line or whatever. And a lot of people didn't know, but that line meant that all the employees in the shopping mall had to park beyond that line. Mm -hmm. So it left spaces open in the front for people to shop. Um, 
that's like the the bare minimum of parking management in the in the suburbs and, and all that. But now you see more and more companies are actually uh, you know we have a location in in Boca Raton, which is the brick, the Boca Raton Innovation Campus. It was once the IBM headquarters. One company, one huge building, one point two million square feet, uh, now houses like forty different companies, and it has a university. And so that huge parking lot of 5,000 spaces is no longer just wide open range. You actually have to manage that company A will park in these these spaces and company B will park in these spaces and we'll have this for visitors and we'll have shuttles running back and forth to transportation, uh, to public transit, the tri-rail and all of that. Um, I, I kind of became that, that guy who started that in, in Sawgrass and Sun and Sunrise and in Boca, um, looking in the places where assets needed our help. And they're finding it at, at those large office campuses because before, what, like I said, it was an open field. Now it's something you actually have to manage. You actually, if you bring in a call center, it's going to have three, three, 300 people per shift, three shifts a day. You're going to have to park up to 900 people every day and you may not have the ability to do that. So um, we're, we're finding ways not only to, I don't think it, they're, they're selling them at this point, but they are managing them there. Because every lease, regardless of whether it is um, in the city center or it's in the suburbs, has a clause that talks about parking and what parking should be available for that tenant. And that used to be manageable for, for most. Now it's becoming where they need some assistance. Interesting. Um, well, I mean, th- this has been awesome. I've certainly learned a lot. Uh, I mean, about parking, that's something not, you know, that's not necessarily the first thing you think of when you think of real estate, but there's so much money to be made in parking uh, that, you know, it, it was fun to, to learn more about it and also about BOMA. So, Kevin, thank you very much for talking to us today. Um, this was great. It's been my pleasure, Craig, and, and, and hopefully we'll talk again soon. You have a good day and take care of yourself now. All right, you too. Bye now. That was the final episode of season two of Getting on the Green. I really want to thank everybody who has been with us since the beginning. If you're new, I would like to thank you as well. I definitely don't want to leave you all out either. Um, when I first started this, I truly didn't think we would be here. Uh, you know, I thought it was just you know a fun idea to start getting involved in, but it's really taken off, and with the support of an awesome crew uh, behind me. Um, I, I really want to thank everybody who's been involved. We have a couple of great episodes coming out in season three. Um, we've already contacted people. People have contacted us. If you would like to be a guest, if you have an awesome insight into the real estate world, into golf, into life, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out to me at gettingonthegreen.com. There is a link on that website. Um, you can also reach me at gettingonthegreen at gmail.com. Love to hear from you. Really, really like to hear the feedback either on the episode. Tell me you love it. Tell me you hate it. Tell me anything you you have about uh, you know your feelings towards the podcast. Also, I wanted to mention that uh, if, you, if you need any sort of real estate needs, advice, valuation on properties, anything along those lines, I'd love to be of help. Feel free to reach out to me on those same uh email uh, or my website, um, feel free. I'm available for you. Love to help. Um, So again, thank you very much for listening. Can't wait to start season three. 
and we will see you next season on the green. Thank you.